All right, well, hey, good morning, y'all. Y'all get a gold star for showing up on a rainy Sunday morning. Not those of you that are online, you don't get a star, all right? Um, man, I, you know, I, I've spent most of my life living in places where it's snowy and cold in January and almost February. And so uh, I don't know, I can't figure out if I like the rain and cold or the snow and the cold. I don't like either of them, to be honest. Uh, I'm just ready for the sun. We're starting a brand new series today called Stand Firm, and it's based on Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, which is Paul's instruction to us to put on the whole armor of God. And I want to start out by reading Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. This is part of that passage, and it's really kind of a good summary verse of what this, this passage and really the series is all about. Ephesians 6, 13, Paul says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So the whole armor of God, there's, there's seven pieces of armor that Paul instructs us to put on so that we can withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now, what is the evil day, you may ask? Really, you, we could define this as simply as, you know, all the days ever since the fall of man back in Genesis 3. Back in Ephesians 5, a chapter earlier, it says that the days that we live in are evil days and the, because we live in a broken, fallen world. And we, we could also define the evil day as any time that the enemy of God, Satan, comes at us and attacks us anytime we face temptation and, and struggle. Um, and so so let, me, let me kind of sum up this series and the goal, I believe, Paul's goal in Ephesians 6. But the goal of our, our series, Stand Firm, and of our Christian lives, it's to not only withstand the attacks of the enemy in our lives, and we'll talk more about the enemy in our lives, to not only withstand the attacks of the enemy in our lives, but to stand firm in victory by utilizing every means provided to us by God. By, providing, by utilizing every means provided to us by God. In other words, the whole armor of God. Every single individual piece putting on this armor of God. We can not only withstand the attacks of the enemy, but we can stand firm in victory. So let me ask you a really simple question this morning is, is do you, do you want to live in victory? Like, don't you want to live in victory? I, I remember, you know, so I'm a child of, I think I've mentioned this before. I grew up, I, I was born in the 70s, grew up in the 80s and the early 90s. And I remember back in the day on ABC Sports, it was like every Saturday, they called it ABC's Wide World of Sports. Okay, so if you've been around a while, you may remember, I'm going to throw up an old logo. It's kind of a retro logo for you. It's up on the screen right about there. All right, and they, I remember this phrase they always used, um, they talked about, you know, in sports and competition, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Any of y'all remember that? Some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. The thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And I love this phrase because if you're competitive, like the more competitive you are, the more true this rings in your life. Like victory is thrilling. It's exciting when your team, when, when your team wins, when you're victorious, man, there's something thrilling about it. But man, if you lose, to lose is agonizing. Maybe worse, you know, maybe the, the feelings and emotions are worse when you lose than when you win. It's, it's agonizing. And you know, sports is a lot like life, right? We, we, some of us feel like we're living defeated lives. We, we face moments and seasons and times of just feeling beat down and defeated. 
But that's not what God has called us to. It's not the life that Jesus came to give us. You know, life in a fallen world is tough, and it's, it's never going to be a cakewalk. It's never going to be easy and without hardship. But it doesn't have to be agonizing and def- full of defeat because God has given us everything that we need to live victoriously in our lives so we can experience the thrill of victorious living. But the reality is we have to be ready for a fight. And that's the title of the sermon today is Ready for a Fight. We have to be prepared. And so today is really kind of a setup for this series that we'll be in for the next number of weeks, really almost leading up to Easter, uh, because we have to understand the context of, of Ephesians 6. Uh, the book of Ephesians is six chapters long. It's in the New Testament. It is really pound for pound, I would say, since we're in this competitive mode, pound for pound, like the, the most power-packed book in the Bible when it comes to describing for us the gospel and the power of the gospel. Again, there's some other great books like Romans and Galatians, but pound for pound, Ephesians is so full of the power of the gospel. And to understand Ephesians chapter 6, which is where we talk about the armor of God, we have to first understand Ephesians chapters one through five. And so today we're gonna kind of uh, scan through and skim over the book of Ephesians so that we can be ready for a fight. Uh, have, you ever, have, have you all ever heard the phrase, uh, you have to learn to crawl before you walk? Have you ever heard that phrase? Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna kind of play off of that, all right? I'm gonna use the phrase, um, you know, if we're gonna win, we've gotta, we've gotta learn to sit, walk, and then stand. Sit, walk, and stand. And, and I kind of have borrowed this. All right, there's, there was in the 20th century a Chinese church leader. His name was Watchman Nee. I love, I love that, that name, Watchman Nee. Um, and man, he wrote some great books. One of them was this very short little treatise on the book of Ephesians by the name of Sit, Walk, Stand. And it's really an overview of the book of Ephesians and, and what he calls the process of of Christian maturity. And so I'm gonna use that as a framework because I think it's so helpful as we kind of figure out how to understand the book of Ephesians, especially as it leads us up to Ephesians chapter six. So sit, walk, and then stand. So we're gonna start with this first one, which is sit, sit. And I wanna look back at Ephesians chapter two, verses one through six, and we're gonna, we're gonna walk through this. Ephesians chapter two, verses one through six. Paul says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so I want us to understand kind of our our default spiritual position. We are born, when we are born into this world physically, our default spiritual position is dead. 
We're born dead. We're born dead men walking. We are born spiritually dead. Ephesians 2, and again, we're going to walk through this. It doesn't describe our relationship and our standing with God as if like we're kind of distant or we're not super close or, you know, we're not on good terms. No, the scriptures describe us in Ephesians 2 as dead, dead in our sin. This is where we all start from spiritually. We have no connection with God. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Verse 2, it says that we follow the course of this world, which is not the way of God. The way of this world, we just naturally walked the course of this world and we followed the prince of the power of the air. You understand the, the, who that's talking about? That's talking about the enemy of God, Satan. It says, it says that we followed the devil. We followed his ways. Verse number, verse number three, it says that we were by nature children of wrath. Because of our sin, the wrath of God was, was, was on us, upon us. If you drop down in chapter two to verse number 12, there, there's a lot of descriptors here in verse 12. It says that we were uh, separated, that we were alienated, that we were strangers, that we were having no hope and without God in the world. Verse number 13 and verse number 17, it describes us as being far off from God. Not like we're just a little bit distant. Man, we're far off. There's this great distance between us and God because of our sin. Verses 14 and 16, it even goes further. It describes our position with God as being in a position of hostility. There was hostility or opposition between us and God because of our sinfulness, because of our brokenness. In fact, Romans chapter 5 says it really bluntly this way. Romans 5.10, 5, Paul said here, For if while we were enemies, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So it says that we were dead in our sins. We were separated. We were far from God. In fact, we were enemies of God. It doesn't mean enemies as far as like God hated us because John 3.16 tells us God so loved the world. We were enemies. That word enemies or enmity is another word we see in scripture means in opposition to. So we stood in opposition to God because of our sinfulness. And this is where we all start. In fact, some of, some of you, maybe still in this place where you've never given your life to God. And so guess what? It's not like God is just a little far away. No, you are separated from God because of your sin. And this is where we all begin. But verse number four, and perhaps one of the most powerful transitions in all of human literature throughout human history, verse number four says, but God... But God, who's rich in mercy, who has this great love for us, because of his love for us, he came for us and he made a way for us. He, verse number six, it says that even while we were dead in our sins, it says, verse number five, he made us alive together with Christ. And so Jesus came and he absorbed our sin and took our sin upon himself. And verse six says this, all right, Jesus came, he did this work for us. We put our faith in him. And what happens is the moment that we put our faith in Jesus and he changes our hearts, it says in verse number six, don't miss this. It says that he's raised us up with him 
and seated us with him in the heavenly places. So when we put our faith in Jesus, we go from being dead to alive. He raises us up and it says that he seats us with Christ in the heavenly places. Now, a chapter earlier in in chapter one of Ephesians verse 20, it tells us that this is where Christ is, that he's seated at the right hand of God. And so that is the position of Jesus. And when we come to faith in Jesus, it says he raises us up and he seats us in Christ in the heavenly places. So this makes me think about baptism, all right? If, if you've been here when we've done baptism or if you've ever experienced that or been baptized, typically the process is, and most pastors will say some version of this, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. So we're raised to walk. But I think if we're gonna get the, the procedure like in the right place, I should maybe change it up to be like, buried in the likeness of his death, raised, to, raised, and then I sit him down. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the position because we're raised to life. And when we, when we come to life, it says that we're seated. Now, don't miss this. We're, we're seated in Christ. And so two really key words that you see all throughout the book of Ephesians. When you read through this, you'll see these phrases, in Christ and in him over and over and over and over and over throughout this book, because this is our new position in Christ when we put our faith in him. We start out dead. When we put our faith in him, we're raised to life, and then we're, we're, we're seated. We're, we're put in a seat in Christ. This is our new position in Christ. And so let me illustrate it this way. You may be like, okay, what, is this, what does this mean that we're seated in Christ? If you work all day long, maybe you're on your feet, or if you've ever like spent all day walking around, maybe gone to the park, or an amusement park, or you've been shopping and you've been on your feet all day long, and you come home from work, or you come home from a day full of activity of standing or walking, what do you want to do when you get home? You want to sit, right? Some of you, like, you come home, you throw your stuff down, and you just sit and throw your feet up. You sack out on the couch or whatever. Why do you do that? because you're tired. You want to what? You want to relax. You want to rest. And so to be seated, there's this picture of being at rest. And so our position when we put our faith in Christ is that we are seated. We are at rest in Christ. It also pictures trust. You and I don't think about it. The the many times that we sit in a seat or we sit down every day, but Every time that we sit, we express trust, right? We express faith. We trust that the seat that we're sitting in, the four legs are gonna hold us up. You may not wanna do that here because some of these chairs, and that's why we try to remove some of these chairs. We're like, oh, that's going on three legs. That may not be trustworthy, but every time we sit down, we're trusting that that that, that, that chair, that seat is gonna support our weight. And so this position being seated in Christ It's this picture of we are now in in Christ. We're in Jesus. We can rest because he's done the work. He is trustworthy. We can put our full weight upon him because he is strong enough to support us. And so there's this incredible picture that we are seated in Christ. And I want to read this quote from Watchman Nee. And I love this quote. He says, today we do not fight for victory we fight from victory. 
We fight from victory. We sang it earlier. The battle belongs to the Lord. He is the one that fights for us. He is the one that gives us victory. And so we're not fighting to achieve victory. Man, we've already received victory in Christ. And so what we do is we sit down and we rest in the person of Jesus because he is the one that has rescued us and redeemed us. And so our first first position, our first action is we sit We're seated in Christ. So our position in Christ, we sit. Let's move on to the second part of this. We sit, and then number two, we walk. We walk, and and we see this again. This, This goes throughout the book of Ephesians. So don't miss this order. This is, this is how the process works in our spiritual life. Jesus does the work to save us, right? Jesus comes, he lives a perfect sinless life. He dies on the cross. He does the work to save us from our sins. And then what he does is he does work in us. God does work to draw us to himself. He does work in us to produce faith. He, he is the one that brings us to a place where we surrender our lives to him. Again, some of you may be in this place that Jesus has already done the work. He's already shown his love for you. And he is in the process of just drawing you to himself. He's trying to woo you to himself. He wants you to give your life to him. Jesus does the work to save us. He does the work in us to draw us to himself. And then once we put our faith in Jesus, then he turns around and says, okay, now you get to work. You get to work. You start working. You start working out your faith. But you can't miss this order. He does the work to save us. He works in us. And then he says, now, because of who you are now, you get to work. You start living out your faith. Start walking. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not from good works. Our good works don't save us or rescue us, but we're created, we're his work. He's done the work in us for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should, what? Walk in them. So he's created us to walk in good works. So I wanna give you a kind of a quick breakdown of the book of Ephesians. And I jotted this down in my journal last week as I was kind of reading through the book of Ephesians. And I wanna put this graphic on the screen. This is a screenshot of my chicken scratch um, in my journal. So you may not be able to read it, um, but I just figured I would put it out there because I didn't wanna type it all out. All right. Um, So the book of Ephesians is really, it's a tale of two halves. It's divided into two halves, chapters one through three and chapters four through six. And I'm gonna kind of walk through because we have to understand how this book breaks down. Chapters one through three on the left side, it's a gospel explanation. It explains the gospel to us, who God is, what he has done, who he has made us to be. And then in chapters four through six, it's a gospel application. In other words, now that you know who you are and you understand the gospel, you're seated in Christ. Chapters four through six tell us how to apply or how to live out the gospel. So it's imperatives, which You know, if you remember back to English or grammar, imperatives are like statements of truth or fact. So chapters one through three, it tells us who God is and all that he has done, who he has made us to be. Chapters four through six are indicatives. Indicatives are like commands, instructions. So it tells us what to do. 
It tells us how to live. Chapters one through three, it's about our identity in Christ, in him. Chapters four through six talk about our activity. Now that you know who you are in Christ, now get to work. Here's how you live out that identity in your life. Here's the action you're to take. You've heard me talk about the four questions. Who is God? What has he done? Who am I? What do I do? If you break down the book of Ephesians, chapters one through three is all about questions one through three. Who is God? What has he done? And who am I? Who has he made me to be? Then in chapters four through six, it's all about question number four. Now, how do I live out my faith in my life? How do I live out the gospel? How am I to walk? All right. Um, So if you look at the bottom, I said chapters one through three, this is who you are in Christ. Chapters four through six is now, and we'll see this in chapter four, very first verse. Now, this is how you are to walk. And the reason I stress this, we can't, we, we can't mess up the order here. Because if you jump into chapter four, five, or six of Ephesians, which is, hey, do this, do this, live this way. Um, children, obey your parents. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Uh, you know, obey your masters and the Lord. All these things, if we go to all these instructions in chapters four, five, and six, it's a bunch of do, 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 do this. And sometimes that's how we live the Christian life. Like I'm just, it's just a list of things to do but we can't miss the order. First of all, God says, this is who you are in Christ. This is who I've made you to be now because this is who you are in Christ now. Do these things in the power of Christ now that I am living in you and through you. It's it's no different than me saying to my kids, okay, you are a Tate. All right, this is how we live. This is who you are. This is how we're to conduct ourselves now go out and represent, right? Don't embarrass the family. But first you got to understand who you are so that you can walk in a way that is in accord with your identity. And so let's kind of, let's, let's walk through these last couple chapters. I just want to show you a few verses to, to draw this out. Ephesians 4, okay, second half of the book, starting in verse number one. I therefore, based on everything that we've talked about so far about who you are in Christ, Paul says, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to what? To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. I'm calling, to, calling you to walk according to who you now are. Not who you used to be, dead in your sins, separated from God, but now that you're in Christ, walk in a manner that's worthy of that calling. Uh, Chapter four, verse number 17, Paul says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer what? Walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Don't walk the way that you used to. He goes on and he says, put off the old man, the old self and put on the new, walk in a new way. I think of, man, again, I'm, I'm, I'm dating myself. There was an old Aerosmith song, Walk This Way. Y'all remember that song? I think Run DMC did a little version as well. Some of you are like, yeah, all right. <laughs> walk this way. And I could be like, talk this way. You know, it's this whole like, you know, whole thing. It's like, this is who you are. Now walk this way, all right? Talk this way, live this way. Don't walk the way that you used to be. Live in this new way. Chapter five, verses one and two. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Verse number two, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So imitate him. 
walk the way that he walked. And again, this isn't, this isn't, hey, just be like Jesus. No, you have Christ. You are in Christ. Now, walk like Christ. Walk like him. Imitate him because you're in him. Uh, chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. Don't just try harder, do good things. Do, no, you're now in the light. So walk like it. Walk as children of light. Chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you what? How you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And so we sit and then we walk. The Christian life isn't about sitting only. That's the foundation, that's the start. But man, it's about, it's about walking. It's about walking, which is funny when you, when you think about it. The Christian life isn't about sitting. But you know, some of us, what we associate with the Christian life is coming to church and doing what? sitting, <laughs> right? And so I propose that next week we're going to remove all the chairs and we're going to stand and walk. We're going to go full Pentecostal and somebody's like, it's about time, all right? <laughs> it's not just about sitting. It's about walking. It's about living out our faith. When we talk about our walk, you know, some, this is one of those kind of church phrases. When we talk about our walk, we're talking, it refers to our, our way of life, how we live and behave and how we act. Our walk is all about how we walk out our life. And we're not saved to sit on our faith. We're liberated to live out our faith. We're not saved to sit on our faith. We're liberated to live out our faith. And so spiritually, here's the reality. You're seated here, right, at, at uh, uh, what is our address? 1056 Highway 1, right? This is where you're seated physically, but spiritually, if you are in Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus, we are seated in the heavenly places. It's kind of an out-of-body experience, right? We're seated here physically, but spiritually, we're seated in the heavenly places. But physic physically, we remain in this world. And so physically, we're to walk out our faith in this life. And again, that, that order is significant. Jesus does the work in us, or does the work to save us. He does the work in us to draw us to himself. And then he says, get to work, walk out your faith. You know, good deeds are good. Good deeds. When you do good deeds, when you do good actions, man, it's good. But don't miss this. The scripture says that apart from Christ, all of our righteousness, all of our good deeds, Isaiah 64, 6 says, are like filthy rags, are like polluted garments. And this is maybe the most graphic illustration in the scripture. It's literally what what the writer was saying is that our righteousness, all our good deeds apart from Christ, apart from God, are, are like used menstrual cloths. Like they're filthy before God because our righteousness could never stack up to the righteousness of God. And yet at the same time in James chapter two, in the New Testament, James says that our faith without works is dead. And what that's saying is that when we come to saving faith in Jesus, it always produces action. It always produces activity. It always produces works, good works. And so spiritually, we're seated in the heavenly places. Our, our position in Christ is that we, we are seated, we sit. But then our life in the world, we walk. 
we walk, we live out our faith. Sit, walk, and then this third part is stand. This leads us up to chapter six. Chapter six. And I want you to think of phrases that include the word stand. Think of phrases like stand up for something or stand up to someone or perhaps stand tall or take a stand. All right, every time we, you know, mostly times when we use this, this word, it comes with the idea of facing or encountering or rising up against something. You know, we, we said it earlier, the Christian life, it's not without difficulty. It's not without conflict. Uh, I compare it to, you know, it's, it's less like a lazy river ride and it's more like a white, white water rapids adventure. You know what I'm talking about? It's not easy. It's not without conflict and difficulty. Temptation is real. And sin in our lives is strong and our enemies in the world, let's face it, our enemies are unrelenting, absolutely unrelenting. If we kind of backtrack for, for just a second, back in Ephesians chapter two, those first three verses we, we looked at, I just want to go back there for a second because it explains for us or it, it lays out for us our three enemies. As followers of Jesus, we, we see our three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, the world, the flesh, and the devil, the, the, the world, not just the physical world, we're talking about the system of this world, the way that this world operates. It doesn't operate in God's ways. And so the, the world is, as we live in this physical world, we, we struggle with our enemy of the world, the world system that is opposed to God. We see in the scriptures there in Ephesians 2, verse 3, it talks about our flesh. Now, it's not talking about like our skin and bones. When it talks about our flesh, it's, talk about, it's talking about the desires and the cravings of, of our, our physical appetites. Like we want to feel good. And so we give in to the temptations that, that appeal to our flesh. So the flesh is, is, is one of our enemies. And then it talks about the, 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 the prince of the power of the air, the devil. And here's, here's the thing about those three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, where we all, we're always facing attack from, from these three enemies as we live our life in the world. And it's, it's really hard, if we're being honest, to distinguish between, you know, which enemy we're facing attack from. And it's really all coming from the devil. He's the force behind all of us, that, that, all of it that's promoting all of this attack against it. And, and what Ephesians 2 tells us is that when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we, our enemies, what is now our enemies, those were our friends, we lived, we followed the course of this world and we, we followed the devil's ways and we, once, we all lived according to the passions of our flesh. What are now our enemies were, uh, were our friends. And so it's natural for us to, to kind of give in to those things. But Ephesians 6, I want us to, to start into this passage and then we'll pick up next week. Ephesians chapter 6 starting into this passage about the armor of God, talking about standing against our enemy. Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 14. Paul says this, finally, 
finally, so he's concluding this whole book and he comes to this whole, this whole uh, passage of scripture, Ephesians 1 through 5, comes to chapter 6 and he says, finally, final words here, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, what? Stand against the enemy, against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is a spiritual battle that we are in. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to what? Stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore. Are you seeing this? Over and over, he's telling us stand. We're to stand, 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 withstand, take a stand, stand against, stand firm. Because this, this Christian life, the victorious Christian life, it's more than sitting. It's more than walking out our faith. And it's a fight. It is a knock down, drag out fight. And we have to be ready for it. We have to be ready for it. This idea of standing, standing firm, it's, it's, a both in, it's both a defensive and an offensive idea that we've got to be on guard and withstand attack, but, but also this offensive offensive fight that we're, we're not going to be passive. We're, we're suited up. We're ready to go. We're ready to fight. And we're going to take, we're going to take the fight to the enemy as well. You know, I think about like a boxing match or a UFC cage match. All right. Um, you know, I could bring up Conor McGregor, but I won't. He lost bad the other week, um, by the way. But if you want to win in a match, boxing, any kind of, if you're in the ring, or the, you know, the octagon, if, you, if you're going to win a fight, you need both offense and defense. If you're, if you're a good defender, that's great, but you're not going to win if you just play defense, right? There's got to be a sense of offense. And so when we talk about putting on the whole armor of God, it's because we've got we've to be on guard and defending against the attacks of the enemy. But there's also an offensive part of the fight that we've got to be ready to fight and that God has given us all of the armor and all of the weapons, every means necessary to experience the thrill of victory. He has given it to us. This is a fight for our lives. In fact, Paul said it on more than one occasion to his young pastor, disciple, Timothy, 1 Timothy. In these two letters to Timothy, Paul said it. 1 Timothy 6, 12, Paul instructs Timothy. He says, hey, Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. He says, until the day that you enter into eternity, it's gonna be a fight and it's a good fight. It's worth it, but man, it's a fight. And so fight the good fight of faith until your dying breath. And then Paul, with his dying breath, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, when he comes to the end of his life, he makes this incredible declaration that I think every single one of us would love to be able to say at the end of our life, Paul says, I have fought the fight 
I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Y'all, it's a fight. It's a fight to follow Jesus, to experience victory. But it's a fight worth fighting. And so our position in Christ, as we look at the, the book of Ephesians, our position in Christ, it's, we, we sit our life in the world, we walk, we walk out our faith, and then our attitude toward the enemy, our attitude toward the enemy is we stand. We're to be ready for a fight. And so again, let me, <clears throat> let me just recap that before we wage war, before we get into Ephesians chapter six, which we're gonna walk through next week, and then we're gonna walk through every piece of armor and weaponry that God has provided for us so that we can experience victory in this battle. Before we wage war, we've gotta know who we are. We've got to sit. We've got to be seated in Christ, our position in Christ. And so the very first thing, y'all, if you've never given your life to Jesus, you're never, ever, ever going to win unless you are seated. And you are, unless you are resting in the person and the work of Jesus on your behalf. And so we've got to know who we are, this new identity that Christ has seated us with him We've got to be living out our faith in the world. We've got to be walking, walking. Here's the reality. We're not going to face a lot of battle against the enemy. The enemy's not going to attack someone who's not actually walking out their faith. Someone who's, who's just sitting on their faith and is not really engaged in battle, who's not really fighting the good fight of faith. It's like, why would the enemy waste his time in fighting against us if we're sitting on the sidelines? But he's called us to walk out our faith, to fight, to fight for the souls of men and women who need the saving work of Jesus. And so we walk out our faith in order to, to, to work and to save those folks, to bring them to Jesus. Then we've got to be ready for a fight. We've got to be ready to take a stand. And so here's what I encourage you to do. I want to challenge you to do something this week. I'm going to give you some homework. I shouldn't have mentioned that word because everybody's like, no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I want to give you a challenge, all right? I want to challenge you to read the book of Ephesians this week. It's six chapters long. You can take one chapter a day. So start today, you can finish Friday. Or start tomorrow, you can finish on Saturday. Read one chapter of Ephesians each day this week and look for these three words, sit, walk, stand. And don't just look for them. Don't just identify them. Man, soak in them, rest in the truth of who you once were and what God has done. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, what he has done for us, who he has made us to be in Christ, sit in that and then walk. Let's walk out our faith and be ready to stand firm as the attack comes our way. And I want to end with one more quote by Watchman Nee, he said this, only those who sit can stand. Our power for standing, as for walking, lies in our having first been made to sit together with Christ. The Christians walk in warfare alike, derive their strength from his position there. If he is not sitting before God, he cannot hope to stand before the enemy. Oh, we gotta learn to, to sit and to walk before we can stand. 
And again, let me remind you that if you are in Christ today, you already have victory. We are already living life from a place of victory. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Amen. Victory is ours. And so let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for the truth that we see in your amazing book, the truth in the gospel and the truth that we see in Ephesians is that you have done the work to save us, to rescue us, that we are placed in Christ. We are seated in heavenly places together with Christ because of your amazing work of mercy and love on our behalf. And Lord, I want to just take a moment to remember the fact that you did work in me and that you've done work in each of us to draw us to yourself. You made it possible for us to be forgiven of our sin and to know you. And then you did the work in bringing us to yourself because we could never find you on our own. And so Lord, thank you for drawing us to you, for seating us in Christ. Lord, help us in all of our days to walk out our faith. And Lord, I just pray for all of our people, for each one of us, Lord, as we all face the struggle of life in this fallen world. Lord, as we face temptation and sin and defeat, Lord, remind us this morning that we fight from a place of victory, that we are in Christ. Lord, help us to stand and to stand firm in Christ, to be ready to put on the whole armor of God. I pray that as we look into the book of Ephesians, as we walk through this, this week on our own and through these next several weeks together as a church, God, I pray that you would help us to be able to stand firm. God, that you would help us to take advantage and utilize every means that you have provided for us in Christ that we would stand firm, that we would experience the thrill of victory, of living for Christ and with Christ. We can stand firm in you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do something incredible in every single one of us this week and throughout this series. Lord, thank you for who you are and all that you have done. We rejoice in your goodness today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? We're going to sing in agreement this morning. Yes and amen. Thank you, Lord.